Welcome to a travel edition of the Earning Hole podcast. This is a second take. I uh, lost battery power in the first take and uh, figured out that it doesn't save recordings after that. This is your host, David Bryant, and uh, I'm going to try and recap the first half hour or so of a podcast that I was giving earlier. You can hear the people talking in the background. So we almost have the same effect as I had before. But what that was earlier was people not practicing social distancing, having a celebratory dinner at a place called Roots. And it is the location of the old train station for the Dinky train station here in Princeton University. And they seem to be celebrating the fact that they think they have successfully stolen an election. Uh, The reason I'm here at Princeton was mainly to talk to a journalist, Chris Hedges, that's out here, who talks about economic fascism and the, the way that the country actually works and places that are considered sacrifice zones, which is a place that I would be from. I'm from a place called Pueblo, Colorado. It's a Rockefeller-founded steel mill town. Now, it was there before, long before the Rockefellers opened a steel mill. But when the Rockefellers brought the steel mill there and he gifted that steel mill to his son, it sort of set a standard the way things are in society out there in Colorado that is very similar to the way that those families historically passed on their wealth and their holdings. And so having to know the history of your hometown and being raised in a steel mill town in the Midwest is no different than being raised on one on the East Coast. And in fact, the nickname for my hometown is Little Pittsburgh. So it's not really a surprise to me that although everybody's been on total lockdown for the last year and being scared out of their wits, now that they think that if you secured an election, they're out having a celebratory dinner all you know, six to seven people at a table, having a good night, no masks, seemingly no cares in the world, because they think that it's back to business as usual once Trump gets out of office. And uh, the censorship that has become a new normal for most of us is, it started here. I'm I'm at the root of the technocratic elite that go on to inhabit things in the surveillance state, FBI, NSA, CIA, and these people, they come here, they have alumni like former General David Petraeus, um, the governor of my state, Michelle Obama, a lot of these folks, they've got a lot of people that go here, Jeff Bezos, but the, the coordinated effort that came out of this place includes Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, who created the prop or not list or the posting of it that has never been retracted even though it's been debunked accusing independent journalism in America of being associated with Russian collusion or being unwitting Russian assets which is Russian Russiagate has been debunked and they never even bothered to retract their accusation and they've caused Chris Hedges and Robert Shears post truth dig to eventually 
come under fire and get shut down because they wanted them to start censorship. In other aspects of the world in independent journalism, the fallout from these things that have been going on, people like uh, Glenn Greenwald who talk about surveillance matters and talk about national security and international relations, he's had to leave his newspaper because of the censorship that they were trying to force on him at his own newspaper that he founded. Uh, Robert Shear has Shear Post, and there's a, a stack, uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but there, there's a, another place that you can find journalists' work, uh, people like Matt Taibbi, Chris Hedges, uh, you know, Glenn Greenwald, uh, all, all these folks that have been keeping us informed under basically pain of economic hardship. And as I was not employed in any of these institutions before all this stuff started and I was doing independent journalism as my spare time, the having it become part of my daily existence has made it to where being targeted by the same surveillance and targeting, I'm a lot more aware of the, the tactics that have come into play and have been able to at least explain that from the perspective of a former veteran as to what's going on. I, uh, I found out information that the Facebook censorship that they're talking about in Congress right now, that where you get a little advertising thing that blocks your posts and advises you that it is out of context or that it's a blocker, is was created at Princeton and was given an award by Google and by, by uh, Princeton person who created it here and they are now under fire for for doing that but they are not connecting it to Princeton in any way even though you know Jeff Bezos being a former alumni also owning the Washington Post and posting the proper not list and having a former head of CIA and several members and people that are a part of the Aspen Institute in these talking and discussion groups in which they've been discussing policy to bring monitoring and surveillance and censorship into the 21st century for several years now uh, are never assigned a an origin point. They don't have a root. And I, I am sitting in the middle of it. I, I'm sure of it. They're the 14th best institution learning institution of learning in the, in the world uh, in a recent posting. They were ranking Ivy League schools, and they they, top, they placed in the top 15. And uh, it's a great school. The, the slogan on one of the buildings for the orchestra is the incremental process, or the incremental advancement of science. It's in Latin. And so that's a terrible translation of what it says, but it basically says that it's the, therefore the, it's an institution dedicated to the incremental advancement of science. It's sort of a, a double-speak thing. It's very clear that they're all for the slow trickle of information to society, while many of these folks here are aware of a, a larger plan to implement digital currencies and social credit scores that has already been implemented in China, and many of them are working on that as doctors and, and thesis doctorate students and um, the Barton Gelman is the person who wrote a book called uh, Dark Mirror uh, about the Snowden disclosures he was one of the journalists that was part of the Snowden disclosures he is the head of the century board here at Princeton University 
and so nobody really talks about Princeton, and, and they don't. They do a pretty good job of keeping their name out of people's mouth, as it were, when it comes to these sort of things. But this is uh, something that needs to become part of the discussion now. And they've taken the name off the Woodrow Wilson Building over here to get rid of the association with historic eugenic racism, and they have come under a recent investigation from the Department of Education for admitting that they've historically maybe been a little discriminatory in their admission practices and things like that, which would be a little obvious because judging by the obvious economic benefits that some of these people already have in their life before they ever go here, uh, it's pretty apparent that their endowment, the $22 billion endowment that they have at Princeton University, that uh, they make sure that this place stays open and that if you're parents give to the endowment that you're pretty much guaranteed a spot here and that is probably not good for keeping things very democratic when it comes to things like the surveillance state and uh, you know the the technocratic elites that work in places like the NSA and go to Silicon Valley and get to have startups and historically everybody that's from a poor community or working class community knows these things about our society they you know that, but it's not very often that somebody like me, who's from a place like that, who has an awareness of technology and how it's used and implemented in various aspects of society, from people using it for business to people using it for military purposes and for surveillance, gets to be confronted with just how much of a disparity there is in the availability of advancement in some of these folks' lives versus somebody who grew up where I did. They couldn't possibly imagine what it is to be an average American citizen right now. But they have such an advantage that they could rile us up and turn us against ourselves during this last four years and get us voting against our interests in general. And they seem to be celebrating that win because while none of us are discussing any of that, we all seem to be arguing about problems that are historically have a root cause, which is uh, a divestment in the working class. These folks bring more to the top and reach down less and less. And so there is way less investment back into the communities. In fact, under this administration, and again, this can't be all laid at Donald Trump's feet. This is a crucial thing to understand. And if it, the nominees that were made nominees for the Democratic Party aren't an indication they don't have any intentions of stopping with the monitoring and surveillance and targeting of people for things like protests and stopping mass incarceration. They, in fact, intend to perfect it. And they've already set the groundwork for that because of our protests that we've been having and because we've been fighting amongst ourselves at the working class of society. It has given them permission to create new legislation that sets precedence for being able to target independent journalists. They even reworded it to create us, create wording that, that deems us adversaries and protesters are to be considered adversaries. And this is all the way up to the Pentagon level of things. So we are entering into a more militarized time in our policing of American citizens than ever before in history. And it's been very slowly done just outside of the awareness of people who 
are not protesting. Everybody's worried and tired, getting tired of the protesters that don't want that, but everybody's sheltered in place under COVID-19, afraid of what's happening with the virus. And as I just mentioned, none of these folks seem to be too worried about their social distance. And the only time I get told to wear a mask is when I piss one of these folks that are very comfortable and in a good position off. You're not wearing your mask. So this is like the new form of of uh, racism, kind of. It's like that what they this like put your muzzle on is basically what it is. They're trying to tell people to muzzle. <laughs> they want us muzzled, and not to complain about what they're implementing right now. But what's been going on with the economy isn't an accident. These folks all have very important economic ties and very deep pockets, and so. They are interested in the switching over to a digital currency, which is something that's already happened in the Asian economic community. But in America, we have not implemented the structure to do that in such a way as to not leave it open for Americans who are not so tied into the Internet and not so tied into Apple Pay and all these different things to make it to where they can't be preyed upon by this class of people and by politicians and by scams and all sorts of different things. They haven't been cracked down on quite enough yet for that to become something that's a viable way for us to actually live. And they want to get rid of cash. That's part of the things that were going on with COVID-19 is that they're like, cash is dangerous. They're trying to warm you up to the idea of all this stuff. But as a result of all this economic craziness, there's been towns across America who did what normally people in America do when the currency goes bunk, which is they create their own local currency and they trade on value in their community in order to basically break free from the tyranny of taxation, no taxi or uh, taxation without representation. And that's that's the American experience. That is the attitude of Americans between New York City and California that they don't seem to be able to understand or comprehend. I walked from Washington, D.C. back up to Princeton after I left Princeton to go down to D.C. for the 4th of July and saw confrontations between Black Lives Matter protesters who were protesting, doing mostly peaceful demonstrations, but... They did have a clash with the Proud Boys, and that resulted in, just a couple of days ago, a violent altercation between the leader of the Proud Boys and his wife and a group of people who were probably taking revenge for the 4th of July and stabbed them in the streets in, in Washington, D.C. So this is now a situation where they are now taking out vengeance on each other in the streets, but all of us are should be arguing together for the same thing at the moment, which is things that are going to benefit us. And not to silence speech, but they've got everybody convinced that this is the opportunity of these people who are not talking about uh, systemic oppression anymore. They're talking about, in their discussion groups, communism and Marxism and economic things. And as... I pointed out in another podcast, Orwell said that if you try and fight fascism with capitalism, you're going to let fascism by the back door in the weak democracy that we have at the moment. And it's definitely what's happening in front of us, but they're making the current president the patsy for that. 
he's a patsy. He's he's not. He's been playing his own very clever game at exposing these people because they look at him very much the same way that they work look at us. He's new money. He's he's a scammer to them. He's a he's a he's not a part of the club as much as he's part of the club, which is hard for people to wrap their head around how he could be historically tied to wealth and have inherited wealth and got to the position he's in because of those couple of advancements. But that was within a couple of generations of his grandfather. And some of these people have money that goes back six, seven generations and are tied to people like Rothschilds and Rockefellers. And so it's a different kind of rich. And it's not a thing that most Americans can wrap their heads around. Even some of our, our most educated people in this country that are champions of social movements and stuff like that, it's kind of hard. You have to stop and realize that you're dealing with people who are basically royalty in their lineage, according to them and their family. Even though royalty is sort of not in vogue as if Brexit's any indication. And so... But those same people in those environments right now are have a part in manipulating our system right now. We are becoming more like the kind of monitored and surveilled state that they've had in the UK for a while now. But the, the downside to this is that in the UK they had record numbers of incarcerations of minors, of underage people that were committing shoplifting and things like that in, in those communities and they created an entire generation of, of kids that don't know how to do anything but do crimes in some cases. And they don't know what to do with it once they've got to that point. <laughs> this isn't not, this isn't uncommon. This happens historically in cycles in, in human, the human species. They crack down on it. And it's usually at the collapse of a society when stuff like this is going on. When violence and sexual behaviors are at their peak in the society and people are over-sexualized and overtly sexual out in the open and violence is at a religious fervor, it's usually an indication that a society is collapsing. And so, in the words of a, of a Roman emperor or Caesar, I can't remember what the fuck it was, but basically... <laughs> Sorry, I know I sound ignorant when I say things like that, but I'm from the working class, so you don't have to forgive me. But basically, he said that like every 40 to 60 years, people get riled up and they just have to have a war. And it's like a ga it used to be like a gasket that they would let off where they would create a war for these guys to go fight because they'd get riled up because they didn't know how to deal with all these things. So they created these habitual things like war and, and vice and regulated them in such a way as to make it to where some people were a target and other people were players in the game. And we're, in mass, in the large majority of the population in the United States are considered, I mean, basically chattel at this point. And which means that when Chris Hedges says we're about to enter an economic hunger games, it's sort of like... Yeah, that's the case. We're entering an economic hunger games. But also, we became a hunting ground. And so we'll become targets for predatory capitalism and predatory marketing. And I've been studying this online as a developing trend for quite some time. And it has led to some things that have happened. That they've started to bust these scams and these 
pyramid scheme type things where they try and convince people that you can make money on the internet by just doing this here and just doing that there. But that's not actually how it's done. These startups don't work like that. These startups don't, uh, they're not pyramid schemes. They're not multi-level marketing schemes. They're people creating products that are used by people and then they make money off of advertising at first. And now they make money off of data services also. And so that's our information that they're selling. This is called surveillance capitalism. And so in the same way that George Washington once made runaway slave laws and stole patent ideas from his slaves for breweries and stuff like that and then opened up breweries across America, they are doing that with information and ideas out of the general population. And they, use our, they do this outside of the awareness of, of everybody that's using those things. And to make matters worse, they're censoring your speech <laughs> so that you aren't even allowed to speak freely about how you feel about that situation. Or if you or happen to become aware of these things happening and you mention it, you can be targeted predatorily by these people who have more power and time to do this stuff. And that has become an instance now in which we are watching an election be stole from the American people by the top 400 families or so of in American politics, according to Larry Lessig, the way that this government system has been working in general, and according to a Princeton study, people at the bottom part of society have little to no effect on the policy outcomes and decisions that are made or the nomination of their elected officials. And only 90 seats are available at any given time to, in flux which leaves a bunch of people in power constantly. And those people on both sides of the aisle have decided that Donald Trump needs to go. And they did that by making utter and total chaos in this country. We are watching utter and total chaos unfold. And it was weaponized. It was done against us the same way that they commit coups in Venezuela and Bolivia. This is in no uncertain terms the new normal that they actually mean. This is them cooing whoever they want, including the American people. This is a danger to the very idea of freedom. And we cannot sit back and allow this to happen. I'm going to be traveling. As I mentioned, this is a travel edition. This is me starting off. I'm going to be traveling to Washington, D.C. tomorrow nationwide at capitals across America they're going to have demonstrations for a fair count, a fair vote and people in both parties are unhappy at this moment, there's far less Democrats that are unhappy obviously but there are people in both parties who see that this election is a scam and that they are purposely manipulating it in the same way they've manipulated us with the media I've even heard a voting official who is, his description of how the media helped Joe Biden was, it was better than Goebbels helped Hitler. And that's not an exaggeration. They used the media and and the surveillance state in the same way that the Nazis did. They accused Donald Trump of being Hitler, but they started the Reichstag fire. This is its not a joke. This is really what's going on right now. They have done a sleight of hand 
in which they had this Pied Piper strategy, and they got this guy in office, and he is taking on the sins of all, all of the angry white men of America that have ever pissed anybody off, and he is the guy that they're throwing rotten tomatoes at and booing off stage. But while that's going on, he's been simultaneously exposing how it is that average the average American is manipulated and has basically no chance in hell of actually making it up the economic ladder. The irony being, they talk about equity of outcomes if, with the Harris-Biden campaign, because it should be Harris-Biden. The vice presidency actually has more clout than the presidential office does these days. That's not a commonly known thing. But since Dick Cheney was in office, the, the president and the vice president, which are figurehead positions, they don't get to change that much. In fact, it's the lifelong appointments to Congress and the Senate that actually make things move, the ones that don't ever get ups, uprooted. People like Nancy Pelosi and things like that. These folks are the ones that actually make things happen. But if you happen to make it into the vice presidency or the presidency, you can make a tidy little sum making side deals with energy companies, which is what Dick Cheney and Joe Biden both did. And so Kamala Harris has made increased her wealth running for president and then also campaigning for vice president. And she probably intends to make a nice tidy sum as vice president if she if they do win and it isn't a contested election so that she can run for president one day and this is how these families make their their bones that way this is basically how the clintons got to be the clintons and the way that they're doing that now in the democratic party is that they're trying to adhere to policies that are going to enable foreign interests to mine and export our resources at a bargain, at a steal, literally at a steal. And that includes uranium, that includes oil, that under this presidency and the last presidency, American oil and fracking and things like that have increased. And it's increased our independence from Middle Eastern oil, which has enabled this president to take soldiers out of the Middle East. But that is not as profitable as starting a war in Syria and ousting Assad for these people. They're, they've created a system in which war is more profitable than peace. And so they are going to try and abuse it at least one more time. And they want to oust Assad, but they've already got no competitive bids contracts for the Golan Heights and Mongolia with the, an oil company called Genie Oil that's got on its board of advisors Dick Cheney and a Rothschild and a former head of CIA or former analyst for CIA and a lot of people that are in American politics, congressmen and senators. So these people have betrayed our democracy for a piece of that pie. And in order for them to get that, they have to oust Assad, which is why they lied about chemical weapons being used in Syria that is something that has come out as well under this presidency and they didn't go into any more conflicts in Syria they they drew down instead and didn't send more soldiers and we were being betrayed by their surveillance state who has basically been seeking profit and not seeking security or gathering intelligence for the purpose of 
peace and prosperity for the world, but rather personal enrichment. And they don't care because it's, it's a lifelong appointment for them. They outlast presidents. It doesn't matter who's president. They're in. Once they're in, they're part of family tides, groups that have been in for much longer than any president will serve, and they stay there. And so they think that they are more powerful than the president of the United States. They think that they have more power as a group of people who are loyal to foreign interests in, in some cases, since Hillary Clinton accusing people of being involved with the Russians is actually the one who has been involved with the Russians by investing in foreign technology startups and investing in a Silicon Valley in Russia and then working with the Canadians for Uranium One to sell off our uranium. These are all deals that are done for foreign nations and they can't access or profit on the deal unless they liquidate America, essentially. And that has been what's been going on in reality. These people rigged under the last president. They rigged the State Department and they rigged the office of the presidency. And then this guy got in office and basically they attacked him from day one. And they, they really wanted to impeach him and make it to where he couldn't do anything. And that was payback because of how Obama was treated while he was in office. He was obstructed the entire time he was in, and he clearly has used the intelligence state to take revenge. It's personal in some cases, and I can't necessarily fault him for being angry, but this is a threat to our democracy and a risk to national security that can't stand. It just can't. We can't allow our politicians to have an internal spy war on American soil and risk American lives. There are dead Americans that have fallen prey to violence between local law enforcement acting out on behalf of these interests and people who are that think they're protesting for their rights, but they really don't even realize what they are actually in threat of falling prey to, which is a permanent open-air prison state in which we're all so monitored that you can't even go to the bathroom without somebody knowing about it and trying to market something to you on your phone while you're there. That's not a joke. Like, they, they are surveilling us to the point where, uh, as uh, Shoshana Zubahoff talked about in one of her talks in her book, Surveillance Capitalism, that they were able to know when a woman was pregnant before she did and started sending advertisements for baby stuff to this lady's dad and he was confused and then it turns out that because of her purchasing habits and what she had been searching for they were able to deduce that she was pregnant before they knew that's terrifying I don't know if you heard that but if I didn't exaggerate that that's a thing that actually happened in this country. Now, imagine how easy it is for them to play your emotions if you're somebody who subscribes to social justice movements or if you are genuinely historically oppressed descendant of American slavery. They have found out a way to both enrage you at the same time as they tell you they're arguing for you 
while simultaneously oppressing you and voting against your interests. Again, as evidenced by the two people who they nominated for the president and vice president in the Democratic National Convention. The architect of stop and frisk and a, a vice president who obstructed the Supreme Court for three years basically arguing the point to save the California uh, state money, the fifth largest economy in the world, because it, they didn't want to invest in the fire department and let guys out on minor drug charges so they could get jobs at the fire department. This is not, a, this is a very serious problem we have. These people are treating us like slave, they're slave masters and we're slaves. And this is uh, again, this is the end of American democracy entirely unless we recognize that that's actually what just happened and is going to continue to happen until we demand something different. And it, this election should be contested. I, I, a lot of people in the Democratic Party, I voted for Obama twice. I'm a registered Democrat, and I registered Democrat so I could vote for Bernie Sanders. So what I am is a progressive, an actual progressive, not a Bernie bro. I'm not advocating for the burning down of America. I'm certainly not all for socialism in general, but there are socialist programs that we have in America, and that's what they are. By definition, they were socialist program, i.e. public school, social security. These are things that I do think are very valuable, and without them, without these safety nets, historically, American citizens fall through the cracks and become homeless and lose their houses and can't afford to pay their mortgages anytime they get sick. And people wanted Medicare for all. They wanted things like that to be passed. And none of that was offered up under the Democratic Party this year. None of it. So my focus has been, why are we not getting the things that we asked for and overwhelmingly wanted? And we're being forced to settle for two basically corporate police state candidates in the Democratic Party and being told that what other choice do you have? Well, you had another choice. The other choice would be to vote for the disruptive element in that situation. But a lot of people didn't like his rhetoric. Well, if anybody had been paying attention, they would have noticed that he's kind of an old guy who doesn't necessarily know how to describe to you in a technical sense what's actually going on. So it might sound ignorant to some of you. And so it's easy for them to paint him as a sort of a troglodyte and, and make you afraid of him as a fascist when in reality he is a guy who has been doing with a lot more money mind you and a lot more resources this having to live the same way that many of our poor parents did like I found out about hedge funds for the first time and when it was explained to me when I read about it I knew what it was it's floating checks and my, I'm very familiar with that. That's how people's parents used to get by paycheck to paycheck back in the day. <laughs> in the poor communities, you had to float checks. Back in the day when food stamps were still paper stamps. And they actually had like dollar amounts or they were for specific things. And so the, the same things that people would get imprisoned for misusing back in the day at my level of society. In their level of society, you get a bonus and it's like, it's insane to me. As I learned more about finance and, and about the financial world, especially since technology's become a part of that, it's fucking, it's terrifying, pardon my French. I, I tend to cuss a little bit, so forgive me. 
but it's it's terrifying because they did this and it's still mostly outside of the awareness of the average working class American that that's what they're doing. It's as simple as they're floating checks, but they use other people's money to make money. And then they use their money to make their money make money for them by evading taxes with offshore bank accounts and things like that when they're really good at it. But then they'll argue the point that Americans at our level of society, well, we're paying taxes just like you pay taxes. So, and a lot of Republicans and Libertarian folks, they don't agree with me because they advocate for less government. I'm for, if we're going to have capitalism, some kind of reform in which we actually use these numbers to the benefit of the entire population to actually suss out what the percentage value is that they're gaining in excess of what the average American does. Because they gain an over percentage of value out of our economy in the extreme, in the absolutely grotesquely extreme, to the point where there is no justification for them to not be paying a higher tax rate by at least double what the average American pay, what the average American would pay with a fifty thousand dollar a year salary. They make in the five hours they they spend sitting in front of Congress telling us that they're they're not censoring us and that they're just doing what's best for Americans and who says that they're they should be the arbiters of what is or is not true since they lie to us so often at those same people sitting there for that five hours all of those people make millions of dollars in that five hours while some of their employees will not make that much in their lifetime and that's disgusting that they make five hours worth of wages in excess of what all of their employees will make in their lifetime combined in some cases unless they hit the lottery or they create their own product and they win the economic lottery in this way and somebody wants to fund them in the same way that these people's startup was funded that got them in bed with the surveillance state and with people that basically are requiring them to testify before Congress because they're essentially part of the apparatus of government at this point. So we are being censored in our voices because money has become free speech and corporations are considered people and they are some of the largest, most profitable corporations on the planet, which means that they have more of a say than basically every other American does in what is and is not okay to say on the internet. That's not freedom. But once that's become the paradigm, we're no longer living in a, re a republic with a democracy. You were living in a, in a communist state. And this is bordering on 1984 shit. Practically verbatim stuff that would have been in 1984 is being said right now in front of Congress and by politicians in this country. And it mirrors exactly what Larry Lessig described as how the communist democracy or dictatorship of China chose their leader, which is that a board of 12 people got to choose the leader, and then they overtook Hong Kong. And this is all part of a plan to subdue people who they consider backwards. So that's why people like the Uyghurs are in camps right now, because they believe that they are backwards people who don't believe the right things. And so not only are they in these camps over there being forced 
to do labor on the cheap, the same way that America keeps people enslaved and makes them do labor on the cheap, they're also being re-educated to this, whatever the state wants them to believe is or is not. And this is the kind of stuff that happens in North Korea that we decry as being terrible, but it's happening in China to the Uyghurs right now. And so only a portion of their population has to live like North Koreans. But, you know, so that's a little more free than North Korea, but not as free as America. And America is about to be a shitload less free than it was before. And again, if this sounds like hyperbole to you or like crazy talk, then you're not educated enough in what's going on in foreign policy around the world. These are things that are being implemented in a lot of countries right now. Since COVID-19 came up, a lot of draconian laws came down in every country across the planet. They've tried to coup Venezuela and Bolivia. There's a lot of shit happening right now outside of our country also. Our country is the focus because everybody's so hyper-focused on the election. Well, while you were hyper-focused on the election, they tried to coup two countries, and we lost both of those. They were not able to do that. And so Venezuela, as a result, adopted a digital currency, and China is the one that pervades that digital currency, and their digital currency is backed up by gold and oil. That's a good idea. It really is. But the thing about that is, is that they also want to implement social credit scores and socialism or communism. Those are the, the paradigms that are involved there. So if you have an interest in political free speech and you don't want to be suppressed, you are going to have a rude awakening when they do this without our permission and tell us that it's necessary. And then you realize that your negative thing that you posted on Twitter could get your bank account locked out and then you might be brought before court because of hate speech or because you said something about the government that they didn't like. This is a really a thing that they're, tr they're pushing for right now. They don't want us to ever be able to have a discussion about things like Jeffrey Epstein, for example, ever again. And have you noticed that they stopped talking about those things entirely? Well, you know, that guy was investing in stuff. He had money and he was giving it to things like MIT and he was giving it to things like Harvard. He was investing as, as a donor to technology at MIT. So why do you think they want to suppress what he was investing in? Why, what, that's, there's so much more to the story there than the, than the obvious thing that everybody's mad about. That's what get, goes on at that level of society. And it's been exposed. It's been exposed and they are on the run. We had them on the run, and that's why things went nuts, because once that came out, they already dealt with this in the UK. They had their scandals with their banking class, and they busted these rings of people that were human trafficking in conjunction with their businesses in banking and, other, and corporations, and it went all the way up to the top, to the highest levels of leadership in their government, and they are basically letting that play out as far as they wanted to play out and now they're suppressing it and they they got rid of the head of that or the figurehead of that and he was essentially a patsy because there were a lot more people that were involved in that situation 
And a lot of those people are very heavy investors in American politics and in American business. And they own a lot of big businesses. And so these people have enough money to basically have anyone silenced that they want to be silenced. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, talking about these things has been one hell of a fucking horrifying experience in some day, on some days. Because they will suppress even the lowest journalist that nobody listens to in ways that you don't want to know at the moment. I'm trying to avoid talking about as much as possible until it's totally unhideable for them. And I can tell you that I've been monitored by the FBI. I can tell you that I have been targeted and chased around by local law enforcement at the behest of that surveillance state. And it's because I talk about things like this. And this has been between New York City and Washington, D.C. And now here I sit at Princeton tracking all this stuff down. And I refuse to back off the story. So, because I've refused to back off the story, and I've exposed enough of this stuff, and guess what? A lot of it on social media, and it's not untrue information. They can't actually delete it. They try to suppress and delete some information, so I got into the habit of doubling and backing up all this information with metadata in the form of screenshots and things like that. Which is, again, this is a way that other people who have been whistleblowers have had to do this as well. So it's just corroborating evidence to a larger narrative in which even a low-level journalist is being suppressed in the same way that a whistleblower inside of the NSA or FBI or CIA is being suppressed. They have sent people for exposing torture programs to jail for like five years. And they're trying to make it to where they can send civilians and journalists to jail for talking about those things that they want to keep doing and didn't want exposed, even though they're war crimes. And so this isn't, it's not a joke anymore. It's, this is a, a time in which American citizens are being tortured in jail cells by having them be strapped to chairs and tasered upwards of 40 times with bags over their head. That is torture program stuff. That is actually stuff that they... And they had dogs sicked on them in jail cells in America. This is stuff that happened at Abu Ghraib. These are things that were going on in prisons in the Middle East. And I don't care who denies it. Those are facts because there's pictures. You can look the pictures up. That has happened in America and in the Middle East. They can't deny that. There is no denying it. It's on the record, on video, on exposed body camera footage and camera footage from inside police stations. And then there's the pictures that came out from Abu Ghraib. These are things that have happened. And these people around here laugh. They don't really care. They don't give a shit if these people are tortured. They don't care. These people are not human to them. They don't care if you are tortured in a jail cell. You, we're not human to them. We're animals to them. That's, I mentioned this in another one of my podcasts. They talk about us subcontextually and backhandedly like we're their chattel. Like we're animals. Like we deserve to be cattle prodded and tasered and tortured like animals. And so as you, if you can for a minute imagine what it must be like for those people that have that attitude about people that are not in the same economic class as them and and then look at your society again through that lens you can understand and see the actual separation the actual 
what's going on. It's sort of like somebody said that they live as a documentary. This movie with uh, a pro wrestler, Rowdy, uh, Roddy Piper, <laughs> in which he puts on this pair of sunglasses and all of a sudden he can see all the aliens amongst him that are, you know, they're all secretly reporting on their neighbors and they're all, you know, they, they can, they don't look like us and act like us and when they are exposed, they, it's, it's very apparent that they're not like us. Well, <laughs> they're regular people. They are exactly like us. They are human beings walking amongst us who just think they're special and they consider some of us animals. And some of you have probably met people in your life who've treated you in a, in a way that you couldn't put your finger on what it was they were, they were doing or how they were acting about around you. And you probably know this feeling pretty well. Like, just like, yeah, it makes actually a hell of a lot of sense. Like, I really do know people that look down their nose and don't talk very much and walk around with their arms crossed and act like their, their shit don't stink. Well, that's because they think their shit don't stink and they, they, they think they're special. But they're really not. They just had access to all these things that we don't. And they're literally told... It was like... It's like if we're if you were living in a movie... And you were born into the movie set. Okay? Let's say you were, you were born into a big-ass scripted world movie set. And these people... They're the, the people that are related to the de- the director and the key grip and all the people that actually run the the operations behind the show, okay? And so, but we're all extras, but we're extras who are never told that we're extras on set. So, like, <laughs> we're just walking around as part of this big show that they put on, and they're all in control of, but they'll never tell you that that's what's going on. Because then they can't get away with shit. And as it's been coming out now, you see what goes on backstage at even the Ellen DeGeneres show, for Christ's sake. And now imagine that on the world scale. It's the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. And I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but it's really not. People are really simple. We're all very, very base, simple creatures for the most part. And it's as simple as that. We are extras in the movie of these people's life in which they're the hero of their own personal life but they're not really they're just regular fucking people like us who just are playing on a different game entirely we were never even invited to play the game we we're just expected to stand around and watch them win at the game and you know serve them their tea and fucking clap for them when they win and score and it's like, oh, good job, yay! You know, like with the people standing around watching people play golf, and everybody has to remain silent while they chip one off the green. You know, like that—that's basically society. Is that they? And it's they don't talk about it because it's impolite to talk about it. And well, we were very privileged, so we can't. We don't want to mention it. We don't want to bring it up in front of the servants. That's the attitude of these people at this level of society. And I think it's high time that all the people that have been arguing amongst themselves in the Black Lives Matter community, in the Proud Boy community, and in the Tea Party, and all of these different social groups who don't know that this is what's going on, you, I hope to God you come across this podcast, and I hope to God that you understand this ain't a joke. This is what I'm telling you I've witnessed 
from coast to coast in this country, it's like walking around on a back lot on, in Hollywood. I got to see the behind the scenes of America. And I grew up in a Rockefeller steel mill town, and so I had already seen how this works, but I hadn't seen it at the national scale. I've seen it at the international scale, though, when I was deployed to Iraq. I watched us police the Iraqi people in the same way that American police officers police American citizens in poor communities. It was just slightly more militarized, but not by much, depending on what town you grew up in. And now, with all this stuff going on, the first three months of lockdown in New York City, I was there and spent a lot of that on the street, and I'll tell you straight up, it felt like being in lockdown in Iraq. All those people had to be at cur- on curfew, they weren't allowed to be outside, they weren't allowed to be gathering in large groups, they weren't allowed to be doing all, they had all these same rules. It's the same shit, and it was intended to keep them from forming groups and communicating amongst themselves without being surveilled. So <laughs> you add the internet into that and they can keep dibs on us and whatever else going on. There's upsides to this. The upside is that they bust people that are going to commit acts of terrorism. Then that's really an important thing. It really is because there's bad shit that happens in the world. But then there's the downside in which they make money off of regular American citizens and steal your ideas and you don't even know it sometimes. And they, they go in and I mean, they base characters and caricatures that they play out as, like, spoofs on American citizens that they think are entertaining, for fuck's sake. That's a thing that actually goes on. This is this weird voyeuristic reality TV show existence now. Because reality TV became the new thing that everybody was into. You see these things like Jersey Shore and all this kind of stuff. Well, some of these people that are social influencers and shit like that they're playing characters that they have based on various American humans that they run into in their life and shit like that. Now, more normally, that's just considered entertainment and that's just considered acting and stuff like that. But now it's entered this new creepy voyeuristic realm in which they basically steal the skin of entire people and then reinvent themselves and put that on and they go out in this human suit that they put on acting as people that they've encountered in their life and basically try and imbibe their entire existence and their entire mannerisms and everything else. And that's just one level of this. In addition to that, you add to that all the people that are working jobs and all this kind of stuff like that. And you probably maybe watched an episode or two of Seinfeld. Well, now imagine that at the world scale, and it's in, in a world where we're all monitored and surveilled, they're creating entertainment to keep you placid and bring in social happenings in people's daily lives. There is an upside to this, which is that it keeps everybody kind of able to laugh at the day-to-day life. But the downside is these things can be used in a very nefarious way to fucking skew narratives and fuck with our psychology and get us angry to the point where a group of Black Lives Matter activists stab a Latinx guy and his wife, a black woman, because they are part of a more Republican-leaning group. The Proud Boys are not a hate organization. I met some of them. They're working-class poor people who are conservative. They don't like burning the flag. 
They don't like it when people talk bad about the flag or talk bad about God or the Pledge of Allegiance or anything like that. They're conservatives. They decided that they were, if you're going to go out and protest and try and tear down statues, we're going to go out and stick up for the statues. It's just they're doing the opposite because they're Republicans and the Black Lives Matter people happen to vote Democrat. And the Democrats counted on getting your vote even if they told, you know, if they tell, tell you that you're, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you're not black. They, they're that sure that you don't have another choice but to vote for them. And for the leader of the Proud Boys and his wife, that wasn't good enough. That pisses them off. And so they're all for the rowdy, rambunctious, and antagonistic nature of the current president we have right now. And this is historically not unusual for America. There was a TV show called Morton Downey Jr. Show back in the day. If you've never watched it, I implore you, you need to go and watch some episodes of the Morton Downey Jr. Show. And if you, if you can, take some time and watch the documentary about Morton Downey Jr. It's uh, called Provocateur, I believe it is. And it will perfectly demonstrate for you the entire paradigm of Jerry Springer and all of these things that we've come to know in WWF and WWE and pro wrestling. And you will get to see what we really look like. Because that's what we really look like. You may not view yourself as being like that, but if you really want to expose what most people are like at their base level, watch the Morton Downey Jr. show. That's what a lot of us are like when we're not being our best selves. So that means like on your worst day, imagine how you might be if you're being pissy to somebody you don't like and know that that's what were like. But for you now in the 21st century, watching this show is going to be a trip. You're going to freak out if you've never seen this guy's show. You're going to watch it and it's going to be like looking into another universe that doesn't exist anymore. But it used to. And that's what it's like for these people that live at this level of society to look in on us on things like social media and in our day-to-day lives. They are so outside of your awareness of what it is like to be a regular poor working class American or even a middle class working American that it, for them it's like watching the Morton Downey Jr. show. They, they look at you like you're not even human in some cases. They look at us like we're animals. And watch an episode of the Morton Downey Jr. show and if you find yourself judging the people that are on the show know that that is how those people feel when they look at us in general. But really we're all exactly the same. We are all exactly the same human being. Some of us had more time to study and had more opportunities in life. And that's the only difference. So this is the first hour of this traveling episode. I explained a little bit of backstory and tried to give you some insight into American society that maybe you hadn't considered before about what's been going on for the last year. I hope that this maybe broadens the perspective of some people who have been really overly angry about things that are relatively unimportant to the average American, and that hopefully this can bring some focus to the discussion. Tomorrow we'll be in Washington, D.C.